If you have your Bible today, turn with me to Ephesians 6, 4. That's a key verse that we want to look at today. On Father's Day, I'm going to ask the question, what is a father to do? And I've got three points today, and you'll get those as we go through the text. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When a boy or a girl, little boy, little girl, comes up and they put their hand in yours, it might be smeared with chocolate ice cream. It uh, might be a little grimy because it's been petting the dog. It might have a wart under the thumb. And the little finger might have a Band-Aid around it. Well, all of those things uh, are very, very possible when there's a little one around. But the most important thing about his hands is that they are the hands of the future. No question about that. These are the hands that one day will hold a Bible or they'll hold a revolver during a a crime. They'll play the church piano or they will spin the gambling wheel at the casino. They'll gently dress a leper's wound or they will tremble wretchedly because of a drug-ruined brain. Right now, that hand is yours. It's yours now. As a father, as a grandfather, as a great-grandfather, it asks for your help and your guidance. It represents a full-fledged personality. It's in miniature, but it's full-fledged. And it's to be respected as a separate individual whose day-to-day growth into Christian adulthood is your responsibility. A woman dialed the phone. She was intending to call one of those old-time record shops. She wanted to buy a stereo album, but somehow or another, as she was dialing, she got the wrong number. Uh, The man who answered was at work in a plumbing shop. He was a plumber. Unaware of the mistake that she had made, the woman asked, do you have eyes of blue and a heart that's true? No, said the plumber, but I have a wife and eight children on Sunset Lane. (laughs) The woman paused and thought for a minute, and she said, is that a record? (laughs) The plumber answered and said, well, I don't know, but it's way above average. (laughs) (laughs) The number of children in a family has greatly decreased over the years. Are you aware of that? Greatly decreased. The latest statistics I could find indicate that the average uh, lady has 1.3 children in America. One-third of American households 
uh, of couples or single ladies have no children. And that trend is increasing year by year. For those who have children, the same question is there that has been there through all the years of America. What in the world are we going to do with this child? What is our responsibility as Christian parents, grandparents, great-grandparents? Do we have responsibilities? Of course we do. In his discussion of the family in Ephesians 6, Paul gives some answers to that question. Listen to what he says. He says, In fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The verse is full of helpful advice for each father, grandfather, great-grandfather that's here today. Let me mention these three things that the scripture encourages us to do. The first one is to encourage. A Christian father, no question, is to encourage their children. That's very, very important. You want to encourage them. Paul expressed this responsibility in the negative form in our verse. Uh, He says, provoke not your children to wrath. The opposite of that, which is the positive dimension of it, is to encourage our children. What is the primary personality problem of people today in America? I believe it's the absence of feelings of self-worth, a sense of insecurity about who we are, what we're about. And this insecurity manifests itself In a lot of different ways, among young people today, middle-aged people today, uh, all across our land. Sometimes it manifests itself by an insatiable desire to dominate. There are people, and I'm sure you know some, that if they're a part of something, they want to be the president or the chairman. They want to run it. They want to dominate the whole thing. That is a manifestation of their feelings of inferiority, a sign of their insecurity. They can't stand the threat of not being able to call the shots. At other times, this insecurity manifests itself in depression. I worked with a minister about uh, 30 years ago that had all the talent in the world. I mean, he could sing the stars down. He could uh, direct the band. He knew what was wrong and how to work everything that had to do with the sound or lighting in the whole church. He knew everything. He just had talent galore. But every day when he got up, he was depressed. And when he would get to work, I would spend about 10 minutes every morning getting him pumped up. I'd say, you know, you are terrific. You can do this, and you can do that, and you've got the best voice in the world, and you can do this, you can do that. That'd go on for about 10 minutes. And then he, that day, he'd be great. He'd do a great, great job. Talk about a performer. Now, he uh, could really perform. Well, 
Uh, after that, uh, there are those that have the same kind of insecurity, but it's on the other end. They're uh, uh, bragging about everything. I have a friend that every time I see him, I don't see him often, every few years, he wants to tell me what he has accomplished between the last time I saw him and this time. And he lines them up in his mind. He tell, I, You know, I did this, and I did that, and I had a success at this, and I did this real well, and I had this accomplished, and I finished that. And somewhere along the line there, I would interrupt him. And I would say, you know, you don't have to prove yourself. I think you're uh, great. You know, let's just uh, settle on the fact that we both think that and move on. <laughs> there are times when insecurity reveals itself in indifference. Some people have this attitude, I don't care. I just don't care. And the reason they say that, it's a cover-up for the fact that they don't want people to get to know them real well because if they get to know them real well, the person feels like they're not going to like me if they know me real well. So basically, they just say to everything, I don't care. I just don't care. It manifests itself in a lot of different ways, but the problem is the same. It's a lack of self-confidence and self-worth And the root of all the problems goes back to their childhood. If we went around the room this morning and asked everybody, what kind of a childhood did you have? We would hear some really sad stories. We'd hear some great stories, and we'd hear some real sad stories. You know, some people's uh, mother or father died before uh, they got to be very old, died when they were just Three or four years old, something like that. Sometimes one of the two would just desert the family. And, of course, that made it a real difficult situation. Some were gone on work all the time. And the kids uh, never saw their mommy or their daddy because they were gone. They had to work. And then some of you would say something like this. I had a godly mom and a godly dad. And they did everything in the world they could do to help me be the person that God intended me to be. And it's just a great, great testimony. A lot of you would have that as your testimony, and that would be wonderful. But some people had the wrong end of all that. And because of that, it affected them, of course, in a very bad way. And some people never, ever... Uh, grow beyond that. That haunts them until the day they die. One little girl, when asked what she wanted to be when she grew up, she said, I want to be possible. And the person said, uh, what, what do you mean by that? And the little girl said, well, my daddy tells me that I'm impossible. <laughs> and when I grow up, I want to be possible. It is the responsibility of Christian fathers to communicate to our children that they are worth something, that they are possible. 
not because of what they do, not because of what they have achieved, but because of who they are. A child of God created in his image and given to us as a gift. To help our children develop a good feeling about themselves, to let them know that they are really worth something, to give them a basic sense of security upon which they can build their lives, to affirm them, that is the responsibility of a Christian father. You are to do those things. Sometimes you have a son, and he's not a very good father. And what you need to do is step in the gap. And you need to give all the influence you can to help that grandchild. Or maybe it would be your grandchild, great-grandchild. You're the one that needs to step in and do those things that the father ought to do. Well, the second thing is discipline. A Christian father is to discipline his children. A great deal of debate, of course, surrounds all of that and has surrounded it since Spock, uh, Dr. Spock came out with that book, says never spank, never harm, never hurt, never hardly even touch uh, your child. Uh, since then, you know, there's been a big argument uh, going on. The Duke of Windsor, had a trip to America, and when he got uh, back home, he said, you know, everything in the American home is operated by switches, except the children. (laughs) One mother told her husband, you know what we need to do? We need to send our dog to camp and our children to obedience school. (laughs) Grady Wilson was a great evangelist, led thousands and thousands of people to Christ. He was asked one time whether his mother ever spanked him. And he said with great regularity, He said she had uh, one of those uh, old razor straps, and she hung that on a nail in the kitchen, and it was always right there. You know, that's where we ate all our meals, and that's where we talked. That's where we did a lot of stuff. It was right there, and there was a little bitty sign right over it, and guess what it said on the little bitty sign? I need thee every hour. Some say that uh, spanking is an acceptable method of discipline. Other people would fight you over it. They'd say, oh, no, that'll ruin your children. That'll just, just terrible. That's just terrible for your children. You don't want to do that ever, not one time. Well, I know a lot of people that were spanked, and they turned out pretty well. I was spanked a lot. And you know you learn uh, to appreciate authority and to follow authority. 
And uh, I don't think it's all bad. I'm not saying that everybody ought to do that. But it's not all bad. I want to point out a keen insight that Paul gave us in this verse. Paul reminded us of the purpose of discipline. He said, bring them up in discipline. In discipline. The word translated, bring them up, in the New American Standard Bible, is rendered nourish. In most of the translations, it's rendered nurture. The idea is the same. It's the same idea of developing our children to their full limits, just as high as they can possibly go, leading them, we hope, to full growth, full growth, where they could, uh, you know, do anything that they were capable of doing. We do need to remember uh, about discipline our children, some things that we need to do and, and not do. First, we need to remember the method of discipline that we use varies with the child. You know, if you've had four kids, then you know that. You know that different kids respond to different things. Every child is different. They respond to different discipline in different ways. Some children, if you tell them you're going to spank them if they don't shape up, you don't, have, you don't have to spank them, and you don't have to say another word to them for about six months because they believe you. And uh, it takes them a while to uh, get over what you said. Other children stare while the spanking is being given to them, and they're looking straight ahead. And as you're spanking them, they're saying, that didn't hurt me a bit. <laughs> well, different methods can and should be used. Second, we need to remember the severity of discipline is determined by the incident, by what they did. Children can commit major offenses, and they can commit minor offenses. And we need to make sure that the punishment fits the crime. Third, in every case, and while using every form, we need to remember the purpose of discipline. The purpose of it, we're disciplining our child not so they can fit our image, not so they can turn out to be exactly like us. Now, if that's your goal, you got the wrong goal. Uh, it's not so that they won't embarrass us. That should not be the reason. It should not be to vent our frustration and rage. People that maim their children ought to be shot. Uh, it's just terrible what happens in some homes across America. But we do want a discipline so we can develop them to their full limits. So we might enable them to become the person that God wants them to be. You know, God has a wonderful plan for every child that's born. And what we need to do is help to facilitate that plan by giving encouragement and discipline and teaching them, uh, educating them as to what to do and how to do it. 
The responsibility of a Christian father is to help his children realize that full potential. Discipline is one of the methods uh, that, of course, helps us to accomplish that goal. Now, the third one is to instruct. We need to be instructing our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. A Christian father is to instruct his children. Now, the word instruction means to train by way of words, by what we say. That is, the way to bring out our children to maturity is by setting guidelines in their life and by enforcing those guidelines with words of explanation. If kids understand, they're a lot more likely to do whatever it is you want them to do. Deuteronomy 6-7 suggests two terms that spell out the nature of this parental education that we are to give to each one of our children. One word is teach. Now, that's very formal. I don't know uh, many families where they line up all the chairs and the father and mother sits in front of them and goes through the formal t- thing of teaching in that way. I, 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 maybe some people are doing that, but I don't, I don't know that they are. Uh, that formal setting is good if that works in your family because you can teach them the things that they need to know to get along in this world. You can teach them the Bible. You can teach them how to do this in your Christian life and how to do that in your Christian life, how to grow in your Christian life. You can help them to memorize some verses and learn some theology and learn some uh, disciplines of the faith. And, of course, that's all very, very good. There should be instructed times in our family where children get uh, the ideas and the ways that they can accomplish the goals that you're setting out there in front of them. The other word is talk. This is the informal, uh, situational type of communication, and it's also important for the children's education. This happens as you ride along together in the car or the truck. This happens as the family together faces an emergency. You know, some kids know what to do in an emergency because they've seen their godly father give the example before. And that's wonderful. That is wonderful. You can talk as you play with your children. You can talk with them as you get down on your knees beside them at bedtime, just before they slip into the bed. Both in the formal way and in the informal way, we must give our children the necessary instruction that they need to become all that God wants them to be. And God wants them to be a lot, a lot. Our children might not always appreciate what we're doing for them right now. 
I, I didn't understand why my father did certain things. But you know what? As I got older, I remembered back to some of those things. And I thought, he, he was right about that. I just wasn't mature enough to understand it. My dad took me out and taught me how to swim. That's important. Every single person ought to know how to swim. Every single person. My dad taught me how to fish. Every single kid, somewhere along the line, needs to learn how to fish. My dad helped me to grow some tomatoes in the backyard. That's the only thing I ever grew in my whole life. But he wanted me to understand how to plant things, how to water things, how to fertilize things, how to weed things, how to do this, how to do that. That's important. That's very, very important. Every kid in America knows something about agriculture, how to do it, how it works. One boy who was disciplined for misbehavior by having uh, to eat at a separate table, that's the way their family did it, when you acted bad and you were getting punished, you had to sit at a table by yourself. He was heard to say in his prayer, Lord, thank you for protecting for preparing a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. <laughs> Another youngster was praying one night, God, please, please don't give my parents any more children. They don't know how to treat the ones they have. <laughs> now, regardless of their immediate response, the responsibility remains. It's still there. You know, we need to teach those kids certain things. Certain things about the Lord. You know, I visit in hundreds and hundreds. I guess I visited in thousands of homes in my life. All these years I've been pastoring and I've tried to, to go into every home that they'd let me in. Sit down and talk to them about Jesus. Sit down and help them if they're having some kind of problem. Sit down and counsel with them about their marriage or about their children. I remember one night, this family called me about 10 o'clock. And they said, our daughter has not come home. We don't know where she is. Would you come over and pray with us? And I... You know, it's pretty late at night, and I thought, I'll be there. So I got up, and I went over there. They called the police. They called the neighbors. They called everybody they knew to call. And we sat there, and we prayed. And we prayed, and we prayed. About 1.30 in the morning, I was sitting there, and that teenage girl walked the door, opened the door and walked in just like nothing had happened. And the father finally said, where, where have you been? And she had gone to Tampa to hear one of the rock stars. And she knew that her parents wouldn't let her go if she told them that. So she just went. She thought, well, I'll just suffer the consequences. You know, we've got to 
stand with people. As a Christian father, you've got to do this right. You've got to encourage them. You've got to discipline them. And you've got to instruct them. You've got to teach them formally and informally. Let's bring up our children in the admonition of the Lord. Today, if you're in the house and you'd like to come and join with our church, be a part of our family, we'd love to have you. Our family keeps growing and we're all excited about that. We hope that you'll come and join with us and serve with us. We want to serve together as we try and reach not only this immediate area, but the larger area, the, the whole state, the whole country. And we have some missionaries all over the world. We want to support that. So if you want to help us in the mission that God has given us, please come and, and join with us. Be a part of our family today. I'm going to stand down here at the front. If the Lord leads, you just slip out and come forward. Let's stand together as we sing.